Orange Curtain, a look at 80s music from Orange County, California. Music that came from here and music that came to here. Join me, your host, Doug Crandall, every Thursday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Good evening and welcome to another episode of Behind the Orange Curtain. Behind the Orange Curtain explores music that came from Orange County, California to influence the rest of the world and music that made it to Orange County, California from around the world to influence those of us who lived here in the 1980s. This week, we'll look at 80s bands that have siblings in them. The goal for this month of November is to look at threads and themes of thankfulness or giving. We sit in a time of seclusion and social distancing where both isolation and depression are a serious result of COVID-19. My hope is that through this show, I can provide a temporary escape or bring back some fond memories of the past. Either way, I hope that you learn something along the way. Bands with siblings have been happening since the beginning of organized music. The harmonies, creativity, synergy, and camaraderie are an essential part of the songwriting process. Now we all know that sometimes having siblings in a band cannot end well, causing rifts and damage that can never be repaired. But so can any family venture, or inheritance for that matter. Tonight, I'll attempt to provide insight into the siblings' relationship, the band, origin, and I'll look to introduce some instances for some deeper cuts, when possible giving you a deeper dive into some of your favorite bands from the 1980s. It was the understanding of atypical parents and their love for rock and roll that encouraged these sisters to pursue music. They are two of three daughters of Norma Jean and Milton Charles Peterson. Vicki and Debbie Peterson were brought up in San Fernando Valley in a household that literally rocked around the clock almost from the day that they were born. Our parents love music, says Debbie. They'd wake us up late at night to watch the Beatles when they were on the Ed Sullivan Show. We had an intercom system in the house that was on all the time, so we'd always be listening to music and singing along. The girls attended Rolling Hills High School, and they're two years apart in age. They had been leading various bands without much success when they met a Brentwood product, Susanna Hoffs, in 1981 in a recycler ad. Debbie and I had gone through a series of playing with women and men who were trying to be in bands, but they were always lacking that sense of commitment, said Vicky in an interview. She continues, It was frustrating to have guitarists or bass players who would come to rehearsal with their books because they were actually studying to be archaeologists, or who just wanted to drink through the entire process and couldn't remember the chords once they got on stage. We went through so much. That when we finally met Susanna, we said, well, how far do you want to take this? I mean, are you as crazy as we are? And she definitely was. You could tell right off that she was, 
and it was wonderful. Vicky self-described herself as the kid who brought her guitar to every sleepover in order to torture everyone with her newest creation. Vicki Peterson began writing songs in elementary school and formed several bands in her youth. In the early 90s, Vicki began writing songs with her good friend and sister-in-law, Susan Cowsill, as the Psycho Sisters. They contributed to tracks by artists including Tom Petty, The Hoodoo Gurus, John Doe, and Belinda Carlisle, as well as replacing the pregnant Charlotte Caffey on the Go-Go's 94-95 reunion tour. She married John Cowsill in 2003 and has two children named William and Tenea. Her little sister Debbie Peterson was the drummer, vocalist, and guitarist and began drumming in her sister's bands at a very early age. A natural talent. She only had one formal drum lesson, picking up her craft from watching other drummers and devouring music voraciously, mostly through her older sister Pam's large record collection. Debbie sang lead on the Bengals' breakthrough 84 single, Going Down to Liverpool, and 1989's Be With You, as well as on a myriad of other tracks in the band's catalog. In addition, Debbie made guest appearances with artists including Elvis Costello, Cyndi Lauper, Tom Petty, The Go-Go's, and Spinal Tap. In the 1990s, Debbie formed Smashbox with The Go-Go's Gina Shock, Sarah Lee of the B-52s, and Wendy and Lisa, which eventually became Kindred Spirit. She has two children with her husband, sound engineer Steve Botting, who she met and married in 1989. In 1987, the Bangles were approached to record a song for the soundtrack of a film called Less Than Zero. They chose to record a cover of Hazy Shade of Winter, which they had been performing live since at least as far back as March of 1983. Lead vocals were performed jointly by all four members of the group, with a short solo led by Susanna Hoffs towards the end. This was a rare occurrence in the Bangles' songs, as they mostly had one member singing lead. Due to pressure from their record label, the Bengals removed the verse from the original song that contained the line, Drinking My Vodka and Lime. According to their liner notes on the soundtrack, and our episode last week, Steve Bartek from the band Oingo Boingo played acoustic guitar on the track. When released in November of 1987, Hazy Shade of Winter became a huge hit, surpassing the popularity of the original version, peaking at number two on the Billboard Hot 100, behind Tiffany's could have been, and also number 11 in the UK, where it was also a hit all around Europe. Hazy Shade of Winter was not included on any of the group's studio albums, but later appeared on their first official greatest hits in 1990, and on many of their subsequent compilations. The song appears during season one and episode two of the Netflix series Stranger Things, and episode nine of The Assassination of Gianni Versace. American Crime Story. Here it is for you now. Hazy Shade of Winter.
Angeles, California in the early 1970s by brothers Jeffrey Scott Spry, who did lead vocals, and Joseph Anthony Spry, who did guitars and vocals, and brothers Danny Sands, piano and keyboards, and Steve Sands, the sound engineer. Before Felony, Jeffrey Spry had been the singer with Detroit proto-punk slash hard rock legends Ron Ashton of Iggy and the Stooges and Dennis Machine Gun Thompson of the MC5 in a short-lived supergroup based in Los Angeles that was called The New Order, preceding the English New Wave group with the same name. After a period of playing shows and making music business connections in Los Angeles, Felony appeared in the horror B-movie Graduation Day in 1981, playing their song Gangsters of Rock. Soon after, they signed with producers-managers Don Rubin, formerly of the pop group The Ivy Three, and Artie Cornfield. Live shows were mixed by sound engineer Steve Sands, who is credited as second engineer on the debut album The Fanatic. Felony went into the studio and emerged with a single, called The Fanatic, which became a hit in Los Angeles on the radio station KROQ-FM, with help from the program director Rick Carroll. The song peaked at number 42 on the Billboard Hot 100 in early 1983. It became a key track in the development of a modern rock radio format. The Fanatic was included in the influential 1983 Valley Girl soundtrack. Felony also performed the track on American Bandstand. A video was made for The Fanatic. The video was shot in Hollywood, California in 1983 and aired on MTV. The Fanatic video includes a cameo of Jeffrey Spry with his first wife, who was a SAG actress, Lucretia Sarita Russo. The band recorded songs including All the King's Horses and She's My Little Girl for the second album on Scotty Brothers that never materialized. The original chemistry was never recaptured, and in 1985, EMHI released Felony's sophomore effort, The Vigilante which featured a more traditional rock sound. The title track, 
got a lot of radio play, and was number two on the K-Rock Top 106.7 Countdown of 1985. The Vigilante also featured the track I'm No Animal, which appeared on the soundtrack of 1986's Friday the 13th, Part 6, Jason Lives. Towards the end of 1991, Felony released their final album, In the Name of Rock and Roll, on the Q9 label. Jeffrey Scott Spry committed suicide on March 9th of 1992. March 10th of 1992 was the re-release of Fanatic. Joe formed his latest band, Can of Worms, with bass player John Avila, also of Oingo Boingo fame. So here's a rock block for you, starting off with The Fanatic, that early single that started it all, and ending with Vigilante.
Ricky and Cynthia Wilson are the children of Bobby Jack Wilson, a fireman and a veteran of the United States Army, and Linda J. Wilson, who raised the two in Athens, Georgia. Cynthia Lee Wilson, born February 28, 1957. She was a singer of the great band, the B-52s. She's noted for her distinctive contralto voice. Contralto is a type of classical female singing voice whose vocal range is the lowest female voice type. She would also play percussion during live shows. Wilson is the younger sister of the late guitarist, Ricky Wilson, who is also a founding member of the band. At an early age, Ricky developed an interest in music and learned how to play folk guitar from the PBS series, Learning Folk Guitar. Upon entering Clark Central High School, Wilson had upgraded to a silver tone guitar, and to tape his music, he purchased a two-track tape recorder with money earned from a summer job at the local landfill. In mid-1969, Ricky Wilson met Keith Strickland at the local head shop called The Looking Glass. The two shared common interests in music and Eastern mysticist culture and quickly became friends. Ricky Wilson quietly came out as gay to Strickland while the two were in their teens, becoming the first members of the band to do so. In 1983, during recording sessions for the band's third studio album, Whammy, Wilson discovered that he had contracted HIV. He confided his illness to Keith Strickland, as stated in several interviews. In 1985, during the recording of the album Bouncing Off the Satellites, Wilson's illness became more severe. Both Strickland and Pearson have stated that despite this, he kept his illness secret from the others in the band. In an interview, Pearson stated that Wilson did so because he didn't want anyone to worry about him or to fuss about him. On October 12, 1985, in the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, Wilson died of AIDS at the age of 32. Devastated, the band did little promotional work and did not tour or promote the album. Upon reforming in 1988, the band continued as a four-piece, with Strickland replicating Wilson's riffs from their earlier material in live performances. So I thought it only fitting to play two songs off the final album featuring Ricky Wilson, Bouncing Off the Satellites. Wig is the third and last single by the B-52s from this album. It was released as only a UK single for the album. It wasn't released in the US. The single peaked at number 79 in the UK. The single was released to coincide with the delayed release of the album in the UK in 1987, a year after it had been released in the US. While the band didn't tour due to Ricky's death, they traveled to the UK to make promotional appearances, miming to wig on TV and being interviewed in magazines. Many years later, in 2010, they started playing wig live and a live version was included on their The Wild Crowd live album. So let's play some classic B-52s and pay homage to the guitar player Ricky Wilson and his life. Here is Wig by the B-52s. What's that on your head? What's that on your head?
Summer of Love is the first single from the album Bouncing Off the Satellites by the B-52s. The single peaked at number three on the Billboard Hot Dance Club play chart, making it their highest entry. The original version of the song was released on the B-52s compilation album Time Capsule, Songs for a Future Generation. Here it is for you now, Summer of Love.
Margot Timmins was born and spent most of her childhood in Montreal as one of six children of Barbara and John Timmins. She described her mother Barbara as a very honest person and very confident in who she was and her emotions and her place in the world. And I think if she gave anything, that's what she gave us, the sense that you do what you do and not to worry about it too much, a confidence. Not a confidence that we're necessarily right, but even if we're wrong, well, too bad. Her father, John Timmons, spent his professional life working in sales and marketing divisions of several aviation companies. His passion in life, however, was music, and his love of song was passed on to his children, especially his son Michael, Margot's brother, who would eventually start Cowboy Junkies. As a young girl, she remembered going through her brother Michael's extensive record collection. In 1977, the Timmins family moved from Montreal to Toronto. Margot attended Richview Collegiate Institute in her high school years. After graduating from high school, Timmins spent her evenings along with her brother Michael exploring the punk music scene in Toronto that was happening on Queen Street West. When Michael started his first band, The Hunger Project, she would hang out with the band take the tickets, and carry the equipment. Timmons supported herself by doing clerical work for her father and performing chores around the house. But in her mid-twenties, Timmons had left the nightlife behind and was studying social work at the university. It was also during this time that Timmons developed her signature mane of long hair, as she tells it. As a kid, I was always mistaken for a boy. I didn't get long hair until my early twenties. That's when I discovered hair was important. In 1985, her brother Michael recruited Margot as the vocalist for Cowboy Junkies, even though she had never sung publicly before. Initially, Margot would not sing in front of the other band members. She would only sing in front of Michael. Margot Timmons has said about that time, so when he asked me, I was freaked out. But I said, okay, so long as I don't do a good job, you fire me. I didn't want to hurt his music, because his music was so important to him. It took a long time for her to get comfortable singing in front of an audience. In fact, many of the early shows had Margot singing with her back to the audience. Timmons has stated that it took 10 years to get comfortable singing in front of an audience, and she suffers from stage fright. Sweet Jane is a song by the American rock band The Velvet Underground. It appears on their fourth studio album called Loaded. The song was written by Lou Reed, the band's leader, who continued to incorporate the piece into live performances as a solo artist. Here is the Cowboy Junkies' biggest U.S. hit and their cover of Sweet Jane.
Dan and Warren Zanes were born in New Hampshire. They spent their childhood in Texas and then in New Brunswick. Their father was a teacher as well as a poet and a writer. Warren Zanes is known as the guitarist for the Del Fuegos, a solo artist and a writer who is the authorized biographer of Tom Petty. He has a PhD in visual and cultural studies. Zanes has taught at various universities and is a former vice president of education and public projects for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Museum and the former executive director of the Rock and Roll Forever Foundation. Dan Zanes started playing guitar when he was eight and began taking Lead Belly records out of the public library as soon as he was old enough to get a library card, according to his mother. He was always very musical. Dan attended Phillips Academy in Massachusetts for two years and ended up living on the outskirts of Concord in New Hampshire. In 1981, he went to Oberlin College in Ohio, where he was determined to start a really cool band. The breakfast line in the very first day at Oberlin, he met up with a former high school classmate, Tom Lloyd. Zanes and Lloyd took their breakfast back to their dorm and immediately started a band and soon left school and headed to Boston. It was between Boston and Austin, according to Zanes, where they became known as the Del Fuegos. The Del Fuegos were a 1980s garage-style rock band formed in 1980. The Boston-based band gained success in 1986 on their song, Don't Run Wild and I Still Want You, and appearing in a widely seen television commercial for a beer company. The band's fans included Tom Petty, who appeared on one of the band's songs and featured them as an opening act on one of his tours. Their relationship between brothers Warren and Dan, then and now, has been described as fractious. Shortly after the band was dropped by Slash Records due to the commercial disappointment of their third album for the label, Warren left the band, as did Woody. After Dan and Tom recruited two replacement members, they released a fourth album with RCA Records. The band broke up within a year of the album's release. Dan later said to the group's demise, The 80s were over, and so were we. Here's their first hit, Don't Run Wild.
Mark Allen Mothersbaugh was born May 18, 1950, in Akron, Ohio. He is the son of Mary Margaret, or Midge, and Robert Mothersbaugh Sr. He grew up with two younger brothers, Bob and Jim, who were both musicians, and two sisters, Amy and Susan. His father appeared in early Devo films and fan events as a character, General Boy, and his brothers participated in the band, although Jim's tenure was brief, appearing only in several early demos. Mark Mothersbaugh and Chrissy Hines' brother were friends. She mentions that Mark had asked her to sing in his pre-Devo band called Sat Sun Matt. Mark Mothersbaugh attended Kent State University as an art student, where he met Devo co-founders Gerald Casal and Bob Lewis. In early 1970, Lewis and Casal formed the idea of de-evolution of the human race after Casal's friend Jeffrey Miller was killed by Ohio National Guardsmen on the university grounds during what became known as the Kent State shootings. Intrigued by the concept, Mothersbaugh joined them, building upon it with elements of early post-structuralist ideas and oddball arcana, most notably unearthing the infamous Jocko Homo heaven-bound pamphlet, the basis for the song Jocko Homo. Now let's talk about Robert Leroy Mothersbaugh Jr. He was born August 11, 1952. In high school, he played in a cover band, Jitters, with his brother Jim Mothersbaugh. In Devo, he was co-lead singer and lead guitarist. In 1989, Bob, Mother's Ba, and other members of Devo were involved in a project called Visiting Kids, releasing a self-titled EP on the New Rose label in 1990. The group featured Mark Mother's Ba's then-wife, Nancy Ferguson, as well as David Kendrick, Bob Mother's Ba, and Bob's daughter, Alex Mother's Ba. The record was produced by Bob Casal and Mark Mothersbaugh, and Mark also co-wrote some of the songs. The project Visiting Kids appeared on the soundtrack of the film Rockula, as well as The Late Show with David Letterman. A promotional video was filmed for the song Trilobites. Following Devo's hiatus in 1991, Mothersbaugh founded his own band called The Bob and I Band and recorded an unreleased album with drummer David Kendrick, the master tapes were lost, though a bootleg of the band is circulating. Now on to Jim Mothersbaugh. Born January 18, 1956, he is an American electronic engineer and former musician. He was the second drummer of the band Devo, replacing Rob Reisman, who played for only one show. Mothersbaugh joined Devo with his older brothers, Bob and Mark, and he was in the band from 1973 to 1977. Mothersbaugh appears on several early Devo demos. Later on, he performed as an equipment technician for the band on the 1980 tour and worked at Roland through much of the 80s, helping to develop MIDI technology. Currently, he's the president of Circle Prime Manufacturing, an electronics contract manufacturing company in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. The company produces devices for the U.S. military, aerospace, and commercial clients. He lives in Akron, raising his son Jacob and daughter Rachel. He makes appearances at the Devotionals, an annual Devo fan gathering in Ohio, which has been held in both Akron and Cleveland. But for you now, let's go to one of my favorite songs, Girl You Want. <laughs> ¶¶ 
Mike and Allie Score were born in Beverly in the East Riding of Yorkshire. Mike had previously been a hairdresser and was well known for his distinctive combed back hairstyle. In 1982, he grew out his hair, making it longer in the back and combed it to the side. In an interview before the performance, it was revealed that his seagull or wings hairstyle was created when Score was trying to style his hair like that of David Bowie's character Ziggy Stardust. A flock of seagulls bassist, Frank Maudsley, was trying to use the mirror at the same time and placed his hand on Score's head, leaving only the hair on the sides of his head sticking up. A flock of seagulls was started by Mike Score in late 1979 in Liverpool. The band's name was taken from the song Toiler on the Sea by punk rock band The Stranglers and the book Jonathan Livingston Seagull, according to Mike Score. The inaugural lineup of the band featured Mike, who was previously a hairdresser, as we mentioned, on lead vocals and keyboards, Ali Score, Mike's older brother by five years, on the drums, and Frank Maudsley on the bass. The band added Willie Wu on guitar, and then brought in Mark Edmondson to replace Ali on the drums when the Score brothers had a falling out. Not long afterwards, Edmondson departed to make way for the returning Ali, and shortly thereafter, Wu departed the band and was replaced by Paul Reynolds, who had been close friends of Edmondson. This became the classic lineup. After practicing above Score's hair salon, the band started playing clubs and eventually got a recording contract. Last year, Mike moved back from the U.S. to Liverpool, where the band formed. He's since met up with Frank and guitarist Paul Reynolds to film the new video for the orchestral version of 1982 single, Space Age Love Song. 
Mike's brother, Allie, meet up at family gatherings. Despite long-standing rumors that the siblings never speak, everyone thinks that we hate each other, laughs Mike in an interview. We're kind of the brothers who just go, how you doing? Great. You? Yeah, great. Cool. See you later. Some brothers go to the pub together. Some go, how you doing? Great. And that's me and Allie. It's kind of a love-hate thing. A flock of seagulls broke up in 1986, but Mike decided to reform the band again in 1989. The other members declined to join him. He performed and toured with a flock of seagulls with different members. In 2003, the original members of a flock of seagulls were reunited by VH1's Bands Reunited. They played their hit, I Ran, at a one-off performance in London. A Flock of Seagulls were one of the most influential bands of the 1980s, mainly for their unique musical style due to the guitar work of Reynolds. The group also helped define much of what today is dance music, contemporary pop, and electronic music. The group had a string of international hit singles, including I Ran in 1982, Space Age Love Song 1982, Wishing, If I Had a Photograph of You in 1982, and The More You Live, The More You Love in 1984. They became notable in the 1980s for their music video, I Ran, that received airplay on MTV during the Second British Invasion. The band won a Grammy in 1983 for their instrumental DNA in 1982. Here are the brothers performing with the other members of A Flock of Seagulls, Telecommunication.
Here's a British rock band formed in the early 1980s by identical twin brothers, Jay and Michael Aston. Gene Loves Jezebel is best known for their songs Heartache, Desire, The Motion of Love, Jealous, Break the Chain, as well as an alternative club hits, Bruises, Influenza, and The Cow. The Motion of Love is the band's most successful UK single. The name of the band is a reference to rock musician Gene Vincent. Gene Vincent was an American musician who pioneered the styles of rock and roll and rockabilly. He was known for his big hit, Bebopalula, but Gene Loves Jezebel refers to his other song called Jezebel. As a result of a rift between the Aston brothers in 1997 and ongoing legal issues, there are currently two incarnations of the band. Michael Aston is the founder and the current leader of the U.S. incarnation of Gene Loves Jezebel. In 1989, Michael left Gene Loves Jezebel over his unhappiness with the direction of the band and strained relations with his twin brother. Moving to California, Michael started Immigrants, which eventually became Edith Grove. After Jay's version of Gene Loves Jezebel disbanded in 1993, between 93 and 97, Michael and Jay Aston reformed Gene Loves Jezebel together and recorded material that would eventually become the album Seven. From February of 1997 to October of 1997, the band toured with a new lineup. During the tour, another bitter dispute broke out between the brothers. According to Michael, he refused to be pushed out of the band after all of the work he had put into the reunion tour and the reformation of Gene Loves Jezebel. Mike began playing as Gene Loves Jezebel without his brother Jay. This caused much confusion for fans. Jay sued Michael to stop him from using the Gene Loves Jezebel name. A Los Angeles judge denied twice the injunctions that were intended to stop Michael from using the name. Jay withdrew the case with prejudice, meaning that he could never sue Michael again. Jay released the album Seven in 1998. He had erased Michael's vocals from the album and did not include Michael in the credits. But a copy of the album with Michael's vocals was released as the Doghouse Sessions. Michael Aston filed a request for the Gene Loves Jezebel trademark, which he was granted in September of 2002. And ICANN awarded Michael the GeneLovesJezebel.com domain name. I thought it only fitting to play the song Desire, as both the brothers had obvious desires. Unfortunately, they weren't the same desire.
Charles Ferris was born March 27, 1959 in Perth, Western Australia, to Dennis and Jill Ferris, and is the second oldest of four children. He has two brothers, Tim, born 1957, and John, born 1961, and a sister, Allison. At the age of five years, Andrew and his family had a holiday in London where they saw a performance by the Beatles. In 1971, the Ferris family relocated to Sydney, where Andrew attended Davidson High School. With Tim taking up guitar lessons, Andrew had instinctively taken up piano, and John took up drums. At school, Andrew met Michael Hutchins after preventing a fight with another student. The two became friends in 1976. Hutchins, on lead vocals, joined his band, Dr. Dolphin. The lineup included two other classmates, Kent Kearney and Neil Sanders, from the nearby Forest High School, a bass guitarist, Gary Beers, and Jeffrey Kenley. Andrew is credited solely with keyboards on the band's earliest albums, but in 1984's The Swing, he's listed as playing guitar as well. On stage, he also plays harmonica and various handheld percussion instruments. While Inexcess's early albums credit the band as songwriters, by their third album, Shabu Shaba, the team of Andrew's composer and Michael Hutchins as lyricist was well established. While there were some Inexcess songs written by other members of the group or by Ferris alone, it was this combination that brought Inexcess the majority of their international success in the 1980s and 90s. In fact, Andrew co-wrote all but one of the band's top 40 hits in the U.S. Now let's talk about Tim. Tim is the oldest of the four children. He was classically trained on the guitar from ages 8 to 12 by Peter Fredrici, who played with the Australian Symphony Orchestra. Tim has been credited with backing vocals on many of NXS's earlier albums. Among his writing credits with NXS, mostly collaborations with Michael Hutchins, are... Red Red Sun, The Gift, Deepest Red, Faith in Each Other, Back Online, Never Let You Go, and the hit, Disappear. Now John is the second youngest of the four children. John is known for integrating traditional rock drums with more funk and dance-influenced beats as well as acoustic drums and sequence pads. Examples of these techniques can be found in such songs as Need You Tonight and The Stairs. 2010 saw John as co-executive producer on NXS's tribute album, Original Sin. He co-produced several tracks on that album featuring artists including Rob Thomas, Ben Harper, Tricky, John Mayer, and Pat Moynihan. He was married to actress Leslie Bega from February of 1992 to 1999. In 2006, he married his longtime girlfriend Carrie Norris in a small beachside ceremony. They later would have two children together. But right now, let's go to one of my favorite tracks from the old days, Black and White, and here's the extended version. Oh 
for a Scottish alternative rock band formed in East Kilbride in 1983. The band revolves around the songwriting partnership of brothers Jim and William Reed. After signing to an independent label, Creation Records, they released their first single, Upside Down, in 1984. Their debut album, Psycho Candy, was released to critical acclaim in 1985 on major label Warner Music Group. The band went to release five more studio albums before disbanding in 1999 and reunited in 2007. The band is Jesus and the Mary Chain. Jim is the lead singer, and William is the lead guitarist. Brothers Jim and William Reed had been inspired to form a band as far back as 1977, having heard groups of the British punk scene. In the early 1980s, they formed their own. Williams stated, It was perfect timing because there weren't any guitar bands. Everybody was making electronic pop music. Before forming the band, the brothers had spent five years on JSA, or Job Seekers Allowance, during which they wrote and recorded songs at home and worked out the sound and image of the band. Originally called The Poppy Seeds, and then Death of Joey, they initially told journalists that they had taken their eventual name, Jesus and the Mary Chain, from a line in a Bing Crosby film, although six months later they admitted that that was not true. Other accounts suggest that the name derived from an offer on a breakfast cereal packet where customers could send off for a gold Jesus and Mary chain. The brothers started recording and sending demos to record companies in 1983 using a Porta studio bought with 300 pounds given to them by their father from a redundancy pay after he lost his factory job. And by early 1984, they had recruited bass player Douglas Hart and teenage drummer Murray Dalglish. Early influences included the Velvet Underground, the Stooges, the Shangri-Las. Williams stating in 1985 interview, we all love the Shangri-Las and one day we're going to make Shangri-La records. Jim in an article mentioned his liking of Pink Floyd, Susie and the Banshees, the Monkees, and Muddy Waters. Early demos displayed a similarity to the Ramones, prompting the brothers to add another element to their sound. In Williams' words, that's why we started using noise and feedback. We want to make records that sound different. They began playing live in spring of 1984. In the early days, William Reed's guitar would be left out of tune, while Dalgish's drum kit was limited to two drums and Hart's bass only had three strings, down to two by 1985. In Hart's words, that's the two that I use. I mean, what's the fucking point of spending money on another two? Two is enough. Playing in front of small audiences during early shows, Jesus and the Mary Chain performed very short gigs, typically fueled by amphetamines and lasting around 20 minutes, and played with their backs to the audience, refusing to speak to them. In late December 1984, the band performed as part of the ICA Rock Week. During their performance, bottles were thrown on stage, the press reports exaggerating events and claiming that there had been a riot, and national newspaper The Sun running a story on the band concentrating on violence and drugs, the band attracting the tag, the new Sex Pistols. This led to several local councils to ban the band from performing in their area. William effectively ended the band in late 1998 when he walked off the stage 15 minutes into a show at the House of Blues. Here is Jesus and the Mary Chain performing head on. Soon as I get my head, man, deep, 
Next up, an American rock band that formed in January of 1980 in Phoenix, Arizona. The group's original lineup was Kurt Kirkwood on guitars and vocals and his brother Chris Kirkwood, bass guitar and vocals, and Derek Bostrom on drums. The Kirkwood brothers met Bostrom while attending Brophy Prep School in Phoenix. The three then moved to Tempe, Arizona, home of Arizona State University, where the Kirkwood brothers purchased two adjacent homes, one of which had a shed in the back where they regularly practiced. The band that we're talking about is the Meat Puppets. The Meat Puppets started as a punk rock band, but like most of their label mates on SST Records, they established their own unique style, blending punk with country and psychedelic rock and featuring Kurt's warbling vocals. It would be later in their career that the Meat Puppets would later gain significant exposure when the Kirkwood Brothers served as guest musicians on Nirvana's MTV Unplugged performance in 1993. Kurt Cobain, who became a fan after seeing them open for Black Flag in the 1980s, invited Chris and Kurt to join him on MTV Unplugged for acoustic performances of Plateau, Omi, and Lake of Fire, which is originally a Meat Puppets song. The resulting album, MTV Unplugged, in New York served as a swan song for Nirvana as Cobain died less than five months after that concert. Lake of Fire became a cult favorite for its particularly wrenching vocal performance from Cobain. Subsequently, the Nirvana exposure and the strength of the single, Backwater, their highest charting single, helped lift Meat Puppets to a new commercial height. The band's studio return was in 1994, Too High to Die, produced by Butthole Surfers guitarist Paul Leary. The album featured Backwater, which reached number 47 on the Billboard Hot 100, and a hidden track update of Lake of Fire. This album features a more straightforward alternative rock style, with occasional moments of pop, country, and neo-psychedelic moments. Too High to Die earned the band a gold record, 500,000 units sold, outselling their previous records combined. The band broke up twice in 1996 and 2002, but reunited again in 2006. Meat Puppets have influenced a number of rock bands, including Nirvana, Soundgarden, Dinosaur Jr. Let's go for another twofer as we hear Lake of Fire, performed by the Meat Puppets, with their follow-up single, Backwater.
Ivan Doroshuk was born October 9, 1957 in Champaign, Illinois, to Ukrainian-Canadian parents Eugene and Betty. Ivan and his younger brothers, Stefan and Colin, were born in the United States while their father was pursuing a doctorate at the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign. Eugene Doroshuk received his Ph.D. in 1962 and accepted a teaching position at the University of Montreal. Betty became a member of the music faculty at Montreal's McGill University, teaching classical voice. The three brothers all classically trained musicians and grew up in Montreal. Once upon a time in a faraway land far north, there lived three brothers who never wore any hats. It was their motto, as Brother Colin put so aptly, style before comfort, that led them into the nether regions of early cyberspace, the world of primitive sequencers, samplers, and drum boxes, populated by such classic hardware as the Pro 5, Dr. Click, and the Lindrum, where conformity was a band word, along with things like drummer and bass player. And there came to flourish a whole community of electropop artists whose goal was to bring something new and completely different to the music scene of the day. This is the story of Men Without Hats. The saga starts in 1976, before there ever was Men Without Hats. The three brothers were attending the French high school Stanislas in Montreal. This is where Ivan met up with Jeremy Arobas. During this year, the school's annual student concert, Ivan, Colin, Stefan, and Jeremy, plus a drummer named Igor, played the first concert together under the name Wave 21. The concept was that Jeremy recited his poetry over the music. The writer-slash-lead singer, Ivan Doroshuk, had explained that the safety dance is a protest against bouncers prohibiting dancers from pogoing in the 1980s new wave music clubs. Unlike disco dancing, which was done with partners, new wave dancing is done individually and involves holding the torso rigid while thrashing about. Pogoing involves jumping up and down. The more deliberately violent evolution of pogoing is slam dancing. Club goers doing the newer pogo dance were perceived as posing a danger to disco dancers on the floor and so club bouncers would tell pogoers to stop or be kicked out of the club. Thus the song is a protest and a call for freedom of expression. In 2003, an episode of VH1's True Spin, Dorshik responded to the common interpretations of the song. Firstly, he explained, the safety dance is not a call for safe sex, and that it's an interpretation is people reading into it a bit too much. Secondly, he explained that it is not an anti-nuclear protest song, despite the nuclear imagery at the end of the video. Doroshuk stated that it wasn't a question of just being anti-nuclear, it was a question of being anti-establishment. The music video for the song Safety Dance was directed by Tim Pope. And it's notable for its English folk revival imagery, featuring Morris dancers, Mummers, Punch and Judy, and a Maypole. It was filmed in the village of West Kington in Whitshire, England. Ivan Dorshuk is the only member of the band to actually perform in the video. Dorshuk and others in the video can be seen repeatedly forming an S sign by jerking both arms into a stiff pose one arm in an upward curve and the other in a downward curve, apparently referring to the first letter in safety. The dwarf actor is Mike Edmonds, whose t-shirt in the video shows 
the Rhythm of Youth album cover. The identity of the young blonde woman by the name of Jenny seen dancing in the video remained unknown until 2013, when she was identified as Louise Court, a journalist who was editor-in-chief at Cosmopolitan and became a director at Hearst Magazine's UK in 2015. The song entered the Canadian Top 50 in February of 1983, peaking at number 11 on May 14th. In the meantime, the Safety Dance was released in the U.S. on March 16th, but did not enter the U.S. charts for a few months. And when it finally did, it became a bigger hit than it was in Canada, spending four weeks at its peak position of number three in September and October of 1983 and staying on the Billboard Hot 100 for 24 weeks. Here it is for you now, Safety Dance. Why, 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 why
we abuse it, never gonna lose it, everything will work out right. I see, we can dance if we want to, we can leave your friends behind. Cause your friends don't dance, and if they don't dance, well, they're no friends of mine. I see, we can dance, we can dance, everything's out of control. We can dance, we can dance, doing it from pole to pole. We can dance, we can dance, everybody look at your hands. We can dance, we can dance, everybody's taking a chance. Who will it save the dance? Yes, it's safe to dance. Who will it save the dance? Who will it save the dance? Yes, it's safe to dance. Who will save the dance? Richard Lofthouse Butler was born June 5th of 1956 in the southwest region of London, England. He's also the oldest of three brothers. His father, George Butler, was a research chemist, a communist, and an atheist. In the 1970s, George Butler was slated to become a scientific ambassador to the Soviet Union, but a friend convinced him that it would not be a good place for his family. Butler's mother was an artist, and Richard started art school in London with the idea of becoming a painter. After graduation, he worked in a silkscreen print shop, but got the idea to form a band. Timothy George Butler, born December 7, 1958, is the bass player. Both brothers were also founding members of the Psychedelic Furs and the alternative rock band Love Spit Love. He lives in Liberty, Kentucky with his wife Robin Wesley Butler and their children. She was a fan ever since the album Forever Now. Richard Butler stated that the Psychedelic Furs began rehearsing in his family's front room but were soon banished because of the noise. The band was initially called RKO, then Radio, they later vacillated between calling themselves the Europeans and the Psychedelic Furs. Playing gigs under both names before they permanently settled on the latter, the word psychedelic was chosen to separate the band from the punk rockers who ostentatiously scorned the legacy of the 1960s rock music. The band initially consisted of Richard Butler on vocals, Tim Butler on bass guitar, Duncan Kilburn on saxophone, Paul Wilson on drums, and Roger Morris on guitars. By 1979, this lineup had expanded to a sextet with Vince Eli replacing Wilson on the drums and John Ashton joining as the second guitarist. The Psychedelic Furs debut, a self-titled album released March of 1980, was produced by Steve Lillywhite. The album quickly established the band on the radio in Europe and was number 18 on the UK albums chart. The album also found success in Germany, Italy, France, Spain, and Australia. The first found success in the U.S. with their next release, 1981's Talk, 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 which saw the band making its debut on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart. In the U.K., the album yielded two charting singles, Dumb Waiters and the original version of Pretty in Pink. The latter song served as inspiration for the 1986 John Hughes film, Pretty in Pink, and was recorded for the platinum-selling soundtrack. Though Richard Butler was later adamant that the cinematic interpretation had very little to do with his song's original intent. In 1982, the band was reduced to a quartet with the departures of Morris and Kilburn. 
and moved to the U.S. in search of a producer. The band recorded their next album, Forever Now, with record producer Todd Rundgren in Woodstock, New York. Released in September of 1982, this album contained Love My Way, which became another U.K. chart entry, and also their first U.S. Billboard Hot 100 single. The Ghost in You and Heaven both charted in the U.K., and Heaven became the band's highest-charting U.K. hit at the time, peaking at number 29. Columbia Records opted for Here Come the Cowboys for the corresponding U.S. release, which failed to chart, but Ghost in You was a hit on the Billboard Hot 100. In Canada, The Ghost in You also charted. Mirror Moves became a top 20 album of the Canadian Albums Chart and was named number one in 1984 by Toronto New Wave radio station CFNY. By the mid-1980s, the band had become a staple on both U.S. college radio and modern rock radio stations. Simultaneously, they were experiencing consistent mainstream success, placing several singles in the charts on both sides of the Atlantic. Still, according to biographer Dave Thompson, they would have more impact on future musicians than they ever did on the marketplace. Here's one of my favorites by the Psychedelic Furs called House.
Now let's move over to New Zealand, where there was a rock band that was popular during the late 70s and early 80s. It was founded in 1973 by Tim Finn and Phil Judd, and had a variety of other members during its existence. The Split Ends had eight songs listed in the APRA Top 100 New Zealand Songs of All Time, more than any other band. The Split Ends had 10 albums, including seven studio albums, which reached the top 10 of the official New Zealand music charts. From 1980 to 1982, the band had four number one albums in New Zealand and three in Australia. It also had two albums break the top 10 in the Canadian albums chart. Brian Timothy Finn, born June 25, 1952. His musical career includes forming The Split Ends, a number of solo albums, temporary membership of his brother Neil's band Crowded House, and joint efforts with Neil Finn as the Finn Brothers. At the age of 13, he went to Sacred Heart College in Auckland, a Catholic boarding school on a scholarship. In 1971, he started a Bachelor of Arts degree at the University of Auckland. There, he jammed in music practice into Room 129, later the name of a split-end song. With friends and future split-end band members, Mike Chun, Robert Gillis, Philip Judd, and Noel Crombie. Music soon became more important to him than his studies. In 1972, he quit university. A few months later, Phil and Tim formed the group the split ends. In 1975, shortly before they left New Zealand for Melbourne, the music moved towards more mainstream sound than later years, with an eclecticism that incorporated influences from art rock, vaudeville, swing, punk, glam rock, rock, and pop. Between 1972 and 77, Tim and Judd alternated as frontmen for the band. When Judd left the band, Tim Finn's younger brother, Neil Finn, took his place. Let's talk about Neil. Born May 27, 1958, he's the co-frontman of the Split Ends, and later would be the sole frontman for a band called Crowded House. Neil was born the youngest of four children. His mother, a devout Catholic, who moved to New Zealand from Ireland at the age of two, maintain a religious influence over the family. Speaking of Catholicism, Finn stated, it's a great fertile ground for pulling lyrics out. There's lots of good stuff going on there. Good rituals and imagery, lots of guilt. It's a very potent combination. I think you're blessed, really, to be brought up with some kind of weird dogma like that. His father, the son of a farmer, served in the army in Italy and became an accountant during World War II. His parents instilled an inspiring admiration for music. The family would often engage in sing-alongs around the piano. In addition to music, Finn also enjoyed sports, particularly swimming, rugby, tennis, and biking. So now let's take a brief moment and hear some of that Finn magic and hear the split ends playing their song, I Got You. Shout, but that's no problem. 
It would be Neil and Hester that decided to form a new band during the Split Ends Farewell Tour. The band was called the Mullanes, and it formed in Melbourne in early 1985 with Finn, Hester, Seymour, and guitarist Craig Hooper. They secured a record contract with Capitol Records, but Hooper left the band before the remaining trio moved to Los Angeles to record their debut album. At Capitol's behest, the band's name was changed to Crowded House, which alluded to the lack of space at the small Hollywood Hills house they shared during the recording of the album. Crowded House would enjoy much more mainstream success. In March of 1987, the group was awarded Best New Talent along with Song of the Year and Best Video, awards for Don't Dream It's Over at the inaugural ARIA Music Awards. The video also earned the group the MTV Video Music Award for Best New Artist that year. The song has been often been covered by other artists and gave Paul Young a hit in 1991. It also was used for New Zealand's Tourism Board advertisement in its 100% Pure New Zealand worldwide promotion from October of 2005. In May of 2001, Don't Dream It's Over was voted 7th in a poll of the best Australian songs of all time by the Australian Performing Right Association. Here is Crowded House performing Something So Strong.
Alistair Ian Campbell was born in Birmingham, England. He is the brother of former bandmate Robin Campbell and current UB40 frontman Duncan Campbell and is the son of the late Scottish folk singer Ian Campbell. The band members began as friends who knew each other from various schools across Birmingham, England. The origins of what would become UB40 began when the mid-1978 guitarist Allie Campbell, together with the rhythm section of drummer Jimmy Brown and bassist Earl Falconer, they begin rehearsing charting reggae songs in addition to some of their own original compositions. They were soon joined by several of their other friends. Once Robin had joined the others in their jamming sessions, the eight musicians formed a band deciding on the name UB40. After a friend suggested it, was an appropriate name given to the unemployed status of all the band members. The name UB40 was selected in reference to a form issued to people claiming unemployment benefits from the UK government's Department of Employment. The designation UB40 stood for Unemployment Benefit Form 40. After great success in the UK, UB40's popularity in the US was established when they released Labor of Love, an album of cover songs, in 1983. The album reached number one on the UK Albums Chart and number eight on the Billboard 200 in the US. The album featured a song, Red Red Wine, a cover version of Neil Diamond's song. It stayed on the charts for over a hundred weeks. In 1987, Ray Falconer, producer of UB40 Music, died in a car crash. His brother Earl Falconer, the band's bassist, was driving with nearly twice the legal limit of alcohol in his blood. Earl was sentenced to six months imprisonment in June of 1988 and banned from driving for three years. Their most successful worldwide single release was a reggae pop version of I Can't Help Falling in Love With You, which was the main title to the 1993 Sharon Stone movie Silver. In 2003, UB40 and the United Colors of Sound recorded Swing Low, Sweet Chariot as the official anthem of the England National Rugby Union team, Following England's victory in the 2003 Rugby Union World Cup, it reached number 15 in the UK singles chart. UB40 are one of the most commercially successful reggae acts of all time in terms of record sales, over 70 million. 
chart positions, and touring schedule. During their three decades-long career, they have been performing sellout shows worldwide and headlining the Reggae Sunsplash Festivals in Jamaica, as well as spreading reggae to Russia, South America, and other countries. They have been nominated for the Grammy Award for Best Reggae Album four times, and in 1984 were nominated for the Brit Award for Best British Group. Here is UB40 playing 1 in 10.
The replacement's history began in Minneapolis in 1978 when 19-year-old Bob Stinson gave his 11-year-old brother Tommy Stinson a bass guitar to keep him off the streets. That year, Bob met Mars, a high school dropout. With Mars playing guitar and then switching to drums, the trio called themselves Dog Breath and began covering songs by Aerosmith, Ted Nugent, and Yes, without a singer. One day, as Westerberg, a janitor in a U.S. Senator David Durenberger's office, was walking home from work, he heard the band playing at the Stinson's house. After being impressed by the band's performance, Westerberg regularly listened to them after work. Mars knew Westerberg and invited him over to jam. Westerberg was unaware that Mars drummed in dog breath. Dog Breath auditioned several vocalists, including a hippie who read lyrics off of a sheet. The band eventually found a vocalist, but Westerberg wanted to be the singer and took him aside one day to say, Hey, the band doesn't like you very much. The vocalist then quit, and Westerberg replaced him. Before Westerberg joined the band, Dog Breath often drank and took various drugs during rehearsals, playing songs as an afterthought. In contrast to the rest of the band, the relatively disciplined Westerberg appeared at rehearsals in neat clothes and insisted on practicing songs until he was happy with them. In an interview, Westerberg says, They didn't even know what punk was. They didn't like punk. Chris had his hair down to his shoulders. But after the band members discovered first-generation English punk bands like The Clash, The Jam, The Damned, and The Buzzcocks, Dog Breath changed its name to The Impediments, and played a drunken performance without Tommy Stinson at a church hall gig in 1980. After being banned from the venue for disorderly behavior, they changed the name to The Replacements. It is an unpublished memoir, Mars later explained to the band's choice of the name. Like, maybe the main act doesn't show, and instead the crowd has to settle for an earful of dirt bags. It seemed to just sit just right with us, accurately describing our collective secondary social esteem. Robert Neal Stinson was born December 17, 1959, and was the lead guitarist for The Replacements. Stinson was the son of Neal and Anita Stinson, who divorced when he was two years old. His father was largely absent from his life, and he was raised by his mother. His younger brother, Tommy Stinson, was born six years after. Tommy's father was Anita Stinson's longtime boyfriend, but she gave him the last name Stinson. The two brothers also had two sisters, Lonnie and Lisa. In the mid-1980s, Bob Stinson married Carlene Kreitler. His wife and him had a son named Joey in 1989 who was profoundly disabled. Carlene filed for a divorce around 1992. Joey died in 2010 at the age of 21. Joey's obituary, as published on Legacy.com, listed his survivors simply as his caregivers and grandparents, Anita and Tom Kurth. After Bob left the replacements, Stinson was never again a full-time musician and worked as a cook in various Twin Cities restaurants and hotels. Bob Stinson passed away February 18th of 1995. According to the Hennepin County Medical Examiner's report, he did not die of a drug overdose, as frequently reported, but rather frequent drug use caused his overall health to diminish, resulting in organ failure. His body was found in uptown Minneapolis apartment with an unused insulin syringe next to it. His obituary appeared in the print edition of the New York Times on February 24, 1995. Now, let's talk about Thomas Eugene Stinson. Bass guitarist for The Replacements, 
After their breakup in 91, Stinson formed Bash and Pop, acting as lead vocalist, guitarist, and frontman. In the mid-1990s, he was the singer and bassist for the rock band Perfect, and eventually joined the rock band Guns N' Roses in 1998. He would release his debut solo album, Village Gorilla Head, in 2004, and subsequently joined Soul Asylum for the completion of their album, The Silver Lining, and was a member of the band for the album's tour in 2006 before joining them as a permanent member until 2011. Now let's take a listen to I'll Be You by The Replacements.
Tonight's show was focused on 80s bands that have or had siblings in them. The goal for the month of November is to look at threads and themes of thankfulness or giving. And now it's time for Crandall's Crucial Cut. This week's Crucial Cut will lead us into next week's topic. Next week's episode will look at the famous Us Festivals from 82 and 83. Steve Wozniak, co-founder of Apple and creator of the Apple One and Apple II personal computers, believed that the 1970s were the me generation. He intended the US festivals to encourage the 1980s to be more community-oriented and combine technology with rock music. The first was held Labor Day weekend of September of 1982, and the second was less than nine months later over Memorial Day weekend in 1983. To close out this evening is an American punk rock band that formed in New York City, the neighborhood of Forest Hills, Queens, in 1974. They're often cited as the first true punk rock group. They were the third band in the lineup at the first day of the festival, Friday, September 3rd, 1982. And this song was the eighth song of their 24-song set. The song to close us out this evening is one of the band's best-known songs. It was originally released on their fourth album, Road to Ruin. In September of 1978, it was the B-side of the UK single, She's the One. Released on September 21st, 1978, the song was later released as a single in the U.S. in 1980 by RSO Records from the Times Square soundtrack album. The song was number 145 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time. In 1999, National Public Radio included it as a song on the NPR 100, in which the NPR's music editors sought to compile the 100 most important American musical works from the 20th century. The band we're talking about is the Ramones. In an interview about the song, Joy Ramone explains the chorus. It's a road song. I wrote it in 1977. Well, Danny Fields was our first manager and he would work us to death. We would be on the road 360 days a year, and we went over to England, and when we were there, it was Christmas time, and at Christmas time, London shuts down. There is nothing to do, nowhere to go. Here we were in London for the first time in our lives, and me and Dee Dee Ramon were sharing a room in the hotel, and we were watching The Guns of Navarone. So there was nothing to do. I mean, here we are in London finally, and this is what we're doing, watching American movies in a hotel room? The song is I Want to Be Sedated by the Ramones. And so until next time, so long and farewell.
Behind the Orange Curtain, a look at 80s music from Orange County, California. Music that came from here and music that came to here. Join me, your host, Doug Crandall, every Thursday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Hey, what's going on Memorial Day weekend? Where have you been trying to have a turn at the Yes Festival? Three great days, Memorial Day weekend at Glen Helen Park, San Bernardino, Greengrass, Beautiful Mountains. It's the music event of the 80s. The greatest gathering of rock artists in music history. The Yes Festival 83, Memorial Day weekend, Glen Helen Park, San Bernardino, California. The music event of the 80s continues with more, more music. The class, minute work from the world's largest stage. Van Halen, Scorpions, through the world's most powerful sound system. David Bowie, Stevie Nicks, with more multimedia spectacle, more giant video projection, more light. More lasers. The Us Festival 83. More than a concert. There can only be one truly great music festival a lifetime, and it's the Us Festival. The what festival? The Us Festival. Yeesh. It was sponsored by that guy from Apple Computers. What computers? Uh.